Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that's like a blind dog in a fire hydrant factory. It just goes everywhere. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, they sometimes are reverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. It is, uh, what is it, Tuesday the 16th of January. Wow. All right, I am back from the UK, completely recuperated, mostly and somewhat almost completely adjusted. So how does that sound? Uh, A lot of confidence in there. All right, in tonight's show in Pipe Parts, I'm going to address what I'm going to call the McClelland or Global Tobacco Issue. I'll uh, give you my insight on that, my opinion, and uh, you know what I I say about opinions. Uh, My guest tonight is uh, pipe maker Sean Ream, and he makes Ream Pipes, so we talk to him. Music recommended by... Dan Locklear, and a ketchup mailbag, and then at the end, a rave. Uh, so, yeah, I'm back from the UK, spent uh, six nights there, and uh, pipe-related. Um, you know, again, my, my main goal for being in the UK was to help get my daughter settled into her uh, three-and-a-half-month stay there, so not a lot of uh, not a lot of time for me personally you know i had we had things to do and goals to do and uh, and a whole new city to learn but uh there was one specialty tobacco shop and it's uh, astons a-s-t-o-n-s and i did get a chance to go in there and hang out a little bit uh, again in the uk you can't can't smoke in the tobacco shops unless they have like a there's a few that have a special exemption this was not one of them um but while I was there, I managed to pick up a couple of things that I had never tried. Haven't tried them yet either, uh, but uh, also can't get here in the U.S. One of them is uh, Special Virginia. It's a uh, ready rubbed, and according to the guys there, it was originally uh, Benson and Hedges Mellow Virginia, and then it had to switch names because you can't use... Mellow and Benson and Hedges didn't want to be involved in pipe tobacco, so now it's just called Special Virginia, and it comes in a 50-gram pouch. And then uh, two Rattray's blends that I'd never seen. One is Sterling Flake, and the other one is Wallace Flake. Uh, and according to the guys at the uh, at Aston's, those are being discontinued. So there are two flakes in little square 50-gram tins. I'll tell you what I think of them when I finally get a chance to open them up and smoke them. All right, enough of that. Let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. The global tobacco market, or the McClellan situation, whichever one you want to call it, uh, for those of you that are not up to speed, uh, last week, uh, last week sometime, a letter or a post went up on Pipes Magazine about McClellan not being able to make 5100 anymore. Uh, 5100 is the basic red Virginia that they blend that a lot of people smoke straight, uh, but at the same time, it's a component for a lot of their blends, so... Uh, and and essentially what the uh, what the what the post said was that Mike and Mary McNeil have not been able to get the tobaccos that they need for fifty one hundred, uh, and they won't. Yeah, they 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 just can't get them. They can't. the The tobaccos don't exist anymore. Now, here's my opinion and what I'm seeing or what I think I'm seeing on this whole situation, and it has to do with the global tobacco market. Uh, There is no longer an incentive for some farmers or tobacco growers to grow a high-grade tobacco. Uh, Nobody, there, there are no more auctions, so it's just by the pound, and they hit a certain quality level, and off it goes. 
part of the reason to this is you see companies like, uh, while I was in England, Philip Morris International announced that they have a plan to be completely out of the combustible tobacco market, and they've introduced a new device that doesn't burn the tobacco, it just heats it. Uh, so again, you, the, this is all because of a, uh, a background of cigarettes. And I'll, I'll remind you that when, when you look at the total tobacco market, pipe tobacco is about 0.3%, 0.2% of the total global tobacco market, 0.2%. Okay. Uh, I use the example when a uh, when a poacher shoots an elephant in the in the uh, in Africa, everybody cries about the dead elephant, but nobody cries about the flea on the back of the elephant that was squashed when the elephant fell down. Okay, we're the flea. So now, does that mean that there's no good tobacco out there anymore? No. What that does mean is that there is there's good tobacco out there. You just have to have the people in the right place at the right time and be able to get the right amount of quantity. And that's where it all works out. You have to get the right amount of quantity of the right quality in order to get that tobacco. Uh, the tobaccos may not live up exactly to what McClellan's standard is. And McClellan may not be willing to compromise or... Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that they don't want to compromise their quality for that specific red leaf because it's important to their entire production line. Uh, you know, I've talked in the past about the classic McClellan ketchup or barbecue aroma, and I don't know for a fact what I'm talking about, but, you know, maybe that red Virginia, which shows up in a lot of their different Virginias, is part of the reason for that ketchupy taste uh, also in and on on a global scale uh for example the the two tobaccos that i talked about that i brought back from england they're being discontinued why are they being discontinued because there's probably there's either something in it that they don't that doesn't qualify it for the new european standards or it just wasn't a big enough production for those company for that company to retool it to fit into the new packaging is there something in the fda that mcclellan doesn't want to deal with or do they just not want to deal with the fda i'll you know there's all kinds of speculation uh there's all kinds of speculation that you can make about all kinds of parts of this I will wrap it up or roll it into saying that in uh, 2001, I started telling everybody, every pipe smoker that I knew, that tobacco will never be cheaper and it will never be more readily available than it is now. So whatever chance you have, if you can buy a little extra and put it away, Tobacco is never going to be cheaper and never going to be more readily available than it is now. Uh, does the McClelland issue mean that other tobacco companies are going to have a hard time keeping their blends going? Nope, doesn't mean that. It, the, every other tobacco company has buyers out there that are looking for tobaccos that will work with their blends. Uh, McClelland, probably because of their specialized taste or... Uh, aroma doesn't want to compromise on a leaf that won't create that so again i say to everybody who is a pipe smoker uh tobacco is never going to be cheaper than it is now and it's never going to be more readily available buy what you can afford to put away buy extra save extra i've done the same thing i've been doing it since uh 2002 or three even if it's if I'm out buying tins and I buy five, I'll put one away and ignore it. You know, just a, that little bit helped me build up my stockpile or my rotation or my, my cellar, whatever you want to call it, even though my cellar is in uh, cardboard boxes and cabinets. Uh, but again, just putting a little bit away. It's never too late to start. Uh, 
because tobacco is never going to be cheaper than it is now and tobacco is never going to be more readily available than it is now so whatever you can afford to put away do it right now all right there's my uh, view on the mcclellan situation i know it makes it just as clear as mud uh but that's again my view we don't know uh and hey nothing is promised you know tomorrow is not a guarantee uh everything comes to an end eventually new coke or new coke came to an end and we got classic coke back and and you go back 30 40 years ago and kodak was a huge company full of innovations and now kodak is a brand name that was sold in bankruptcy so there you go all right, in just a minute, uh, pipe maker Sean Ream will be on with me. This is Internet Radio. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and uh, I'm trying to think. It's been a while since I've had a pipe maker on. So I'm excited to welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show, uh, pipe maker, and uh, from from the looks of you, a young pipe maker, uh, Sean Ream. Welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be here. All right. So let, first of all, let's talk about your last name because it's spelled R-E-U-M, but you pronounce it Ream. Yeah, um, it's, it's pronounced Reem. Everybody thinks it's Room or Reem, but it doesn't make any sense, but it's Reem. <laughs> so just pretend there's two E's. So you just blame your parents and go on about it. Yeah, that works. Okay, good. All right, where'd you grow up and uh, in, uh, why are you in Montana? Well, I was actually born in the Central Valley of California, and I was there up until high school. Then we moved to Montana. And I'm so glad we did, because <laughs> it's Montana, and it's beautiful, and we live next to a gigantic lake, so that's that's pretty awesome. Um, don't plan on going back to California. No, no offense to you Californians out there, just not for me. Too many people. I don't like crowds. So <laughs> I'll stick up here in, north, in the Northwest. Yeah, well, as another California escapee... Um, I'll say yes. I agree. Uh, however, I mean Montana, where you are, you're are you, you're surrounded by lakes and six, seven, eight thousand foot mountains. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Polson, Montana. We're right on the Flathead Lake. Um, I've basically got to drive an hour north or an hour south to go shopping anywhere other than Walmart. That's just kind of how it is. It's only about a four thousand person town, but. It's definitely worth it. it it's a uh, winter wonderland as well. Right now it is. Um, you know, a lot of people think Montana is all about it being cold all the time, but we get an actual four seasons here. And I think the lake has a lot to do with that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm on the water at least four or five months out of the year. So it's not all cold. <laughs> so, so we know what you're doing in your free time now. Uh, but what when you got when you got out of high school, what did you want to be when you grew up? Man, I had no idea. I certainly did not think a pipe maker, <laughs> but I had no idea. Uh, I went to college for a couple years and figured out pretty fast that I didn't, that I didn't like that. You know, mainly just the school part of it. Um. Gosh, I worked in the tire industry, worked for a bunch of different grocery stores, you know, managed departments, managed people, stuff like that. 
And I don't know, nothing ever, nothing ever really stuck. I didn't really want to continue doing any of that. And just wasn't really sure, I guess. So when did pipe smoking come into your life and how did that happen? Um, pipes about four years ago now. Um, I think, yeah, just about four. Um, I actually, I used to restore vintage straight razors, you know, the really old school kind that you shave with. Yeah. Um, that's all, that's also another really large community on social media and, you know, just getting to know people in there. A lot of them are pipe smokers and, you know, into cigars and all that kind of stuff. Well, I posted a picture of a pipe, or I'm sorry, a picture of a razor propped up with a cigar. One of my friends in that group started asking me about cigars. We eventually got on the topic of pipes, and then I ended up ordering my first pipe. I think I got a, I think I got a pipe kit. It was like one of the beginner ones that has a bunch of different tobaccos from smokingpipes.com. Yep. And yeah, I, I liked it. So you're you're kind of an, an internet taught pipe smoker because obviously probably not a pipe shop nearby you. There's not. Um, and when I started smoking a pipe, I was in Boise, Idaho. I lived over there for a while, and there's a pipe club and a few. There's another. There's a couple pipe makers that I know in the Boise area as well. Um, but yeah, mainly just the internet. <laughs> so how? So how was the first experience, and uh, what made you come back for more? Um, I think the first experience was probably I was you know checking the tracking number on this package, just waiting for it to get to my house. And I kid you not, I got out of my car, and I could smell the tobacco in the mailbox, like <laughs> from 10 feet away. <laughs> and it was a hot day, and it was Lane HGL. And that's a, it's got a pretty strong Latakia smell to it, from what I remember. I haven't had it since, actually. Um, I think it's actually got some Cavendish in there, too. But I just remember that was, like, the most distinct smell. And it was in the mailbox. I could still smell it. I was like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so that was exciting. Um, I opened, the, opened my garage, opened the package. Probably burnt the hell out of my tongue, you know, like most people do when they first start. <laughs> so, but it was good. It was I, I like the smell of it more than anything. Um, it was like incense, I guess. <laughs> you said, "Ooh, I like this. I'll do it again." Um, how yeah. long? How long did it take before you were buying a second pipe? You know, I think I probably immediately started looking in antique stores. You know, because I. I don't know. I've always been the antique store kind of person looking for straight razors and stuff. And um, I know I got, I think my first estate pipe was a house of Robertson and they were actually in Boise. I think they stopped production in, I want to say mid eighties. I don't really know. but um, Yeah. They were in downtown Boise pipe maker shops. You know, they were actually wow. the tobacconists as well. And then eventually I, I got to know some of the guys at the pipe, uh, the, the local tobacco shop there. We had a pipe club on Saturdays. And some of the older guys were like, oh, man, that's a House Robertson pipe. I've got a dozen of those. And they would never show me, of course, because they're really hard to find now. <laughs> so you found a little jewel in the rough. Did you? Pretty uh... much. And then I actually found another one after that, but I haven't been able to find any more since. And did you have to clean it up, or was it ready to go? Oh, it definitely needed some cleaning. I've got some. I've got pictures of it somewhere, before and after. Um, it was pretty bad. I mean, I did the the standard soaking in OxyClean kind of thing, and I had a bunch of microfiber pads and did it all by hand, so I didn't have any tools at that time. <laughs> I still have the pipe. I smoke it often. And then what what happened pipe tobacco taste wise with you? Where'd you where where'd you end up finding your sweet spot? Um well the HGL was the first one that I really smelled. But I, I stuck with aromatics for a while in the beginning. Um I 
Lane one Q is probably the only aromatic that I'll still tolerate and maybe even like. Um, but I, I think I was on aromatic for probably three or four months, and then I moved on to English blends and figured out that I love Latakia, and I just couldn't get enough of that. So I think one of my favorites was Dan Tobacco's um, Old Ironsides. Yeah. So that's a that's a really good heavy Latakia blend. That's actually a really nice flake as well. And does it so? After you smoke it, do you want to pull out a straight razor and scrape off your tongue? <laughs> no, no, that was that was a pretty good one. Um, I I I really enjoyed that, and I haven't smoked that in probably a year. I should probably revisit that. Um, it was pleasant. It was you know the tin note to me was like sticking your head inside the inside of a barbecue smoker. <laughs> Now you know how the uh, how the turkey feels in there. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. All right. So when do we? When do you decide? You know what? I want to try making a pipe. You know that was almost immediately. Um, I had a, I, I did have a lot of tools because of you know what I was doing with straight razors. Not really the proper tools for pipe making, but I ordered a couple pipe kits. Uh, I got one from Mark Tinsky. I got one from uh, VermontFreehand.com. And that was a great way to go in the beginning. And I have people ask me all the time, you know, how do they start? And that's where I point people to. So you're not spending a whole bunch of money on tools. Um, You know, no matter how ugly the pipe looks at the end of it, you've got a great smoking pipe. (laughs) So that's how I started. Um, Another reason I point people to that is a lot of the beginning parts of pipe making can be boring sometimes so i figure if people like the finish work which is tedious like even more you know they'll probably like the rest of it yeah and and then they'll be able to figure out how to make a uh, a, a decent looking pipe out of a uh, weird block of wood exactly <laughs> you know, and then you can decide whether you want to invest the money in getting the proper tools. That is a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk more about this uh, straight razor stuff too, as well. And we'll talk about pipes. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell and Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990. Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well-loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with uh, pipe maker Sean Ream. I, uh, let, let's bounce back to this, uh, to the straight razor thing because, I mean, that sounds, you know, that's old school kind of cool where you get to, those are the ones where the blades fold into themselves and or are just really sharp single blades. Is that what we're talking about? Well, the blade's going to fold into itself, into the scales, which is, what most people call the handle, um, but they're it, realistically it balances out the blade, so they're called scales. Um, and I, yeah, I just started restoring them. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was profitable, honestly. You can get straight razors at an antique store for three or four bucks. And some of the ones I was restoring, I was redoing the scales and different materials and selling them for over a hundred. Oh wow! So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, 
And there's some out there that I wouldn't even touch a restoration on because, I mean, they could be worth $400 if somebody else was doing it. Wow. So there's, there's actually a lot of history in those. Um, you know, kind of like Dunhill pipes where you can track pretty much any year. That's yeah. how some straight razor companies work. Yeah, I mean, so are they using, like, you know, really good steel and hallmarking it, and then you're able to track who made it and where it was from? Yeah. Um, you know, you can look at the overall profile of a lot of them, how the tail comes off of the end and how the blade is shaped, and you can guess what era it's from. And then a lot of other companies actually had stamps and, you know, different little symbols here and there. Now, is that also the kind of blade that you had to get the little leather thing out to keep them sharp and cleaned up? Yeah, that that's called a strop, um, S-T-R-O-P. A lot of people think it's a strap, but it's a strop. And, you know, like with wood, a lot of woodworking tools, you're going to hone them on a stone and then take it to the leather. Same thing with that. So, you know, you'll sharpen them. But once they're sharpened, you're going to strop it before every use, and it kind of like microscopically aligns all the hairs again of metal. Wow! And are they really yeah, a better shave than the uh, than I guess the Dollar Shave Club stuff that I use? I think so. Um, I mean, I still shave with one today. I, I have a short beard, but I still trim my neck up with one, and. You know, it, uh, in a lot of ways, it's like pipe making. It's very methodical. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a process to it every time, just like with packing your pipe. So, a lot of times, pipe makers, or pipe people in general, like straight razors, just because it's the same kind of pastime, I guess. Yeah, make. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And then there's, you know, there's a certain ritual behind it. And then I guess you've got yeah. all the different shaving creams and stuff that goes with it that you can further personalize yeah i yeah honestly i bet you there's as many different shave soaps as there are pipe tobaccos or even micro brewed beers there's just thousands and thousands out there i wonder if there's a perique shaving soap because that would be perfect for me you know i there's a couple cavendish ones that i know of but i don't know about a perique one Oh, okay. It all suggested to one of the guys I know that owns a, a soap company. Yeah, tell him there's one idiot that that buys cheap razors and wants to know if if he can put Perique in the shave soap. <laughs> well, he's a he's a piper as well, so he makes shave soap, but he's a pipe smoker, and so he understands you know the appeal of the pipe tobacco smelling soaps. Okay, cool. So he can. All right, yeah. So he could actually scent the soaps with your favorite tobaccos and then your face would be all ready for a pipe full. Sounds good to me. <laughs> all right, back to pipe making. So you so you tried out with the with the basic starter kits. When you were getting started, once once you got beyond that starter kit, what was the hardest thing for you to get a grip on or the hardest part of pipe making for you to understand? I you know that's kind of a tough question um, because there's still things that I I would think to be difficult and other things that I used to that I don't anymore. <laughs> um, I think a lot of it was I was using a benchtop wood lathe from Harbor Freight. And honestly, I use the exact same one today. I, I never got a metal lathe. Um, not that I shouldn't, and I will eventually. But figure, I think figuring out the tools – for pipe making was probably the hardest because there's not a lot of tools out there that are made specifically for our industry. Yeah. Other than, you know, now there's guys making spoon bits and, you know, special forstner bits and stuff like that. But as far as the big equipment, a lot of it you got to repurpose or even make. Yep. Or, or uh, figure out a way around it yourself. Yeah, exactly. So I think in the beginning I had a lot of trouble with, you know, stems not facing up correctly because I didn't understand that on a wood lathe there's a lot of variables. 
and they're not perfect. And so you have to work around all those things. And what was the, uh, I, I guess, what was your favorite part or kind of the easiest part that came to you at the beginning? You know, I think uh, probably the finish work. is. I mean, and obviously finish work has advanced over the last four years greatly, but that's the part I enjoyed the most. Um, I enjoyed it more than drilling. You know, having to drill a pipe correctly was kind of nerve-wracking in the beginning, I suppose. <laughs> so yeah, I, I would say the finish work. Once you know, once you've got it sanded to where you can stain it, that's when the exciting stuff happens. Yeah, I mean, if you're sitting there with the drill and you go and you uh, make an extra hole where you didn't need one, that's kind of a, 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 a that's kind of a point of no return on that one. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, and I do I do all the drilling on my lathe. Actually, I don't use the drill press. Some people do, and that's fine. I mean, there's no wrong way to make a pipe. But I think the biggest thing for me in the beginning was figuring out what all I could do with the tools that I had without buying more. And figuring out that I can do so much on the lathe really helped. Were there, I mean, starting out, were there certain brands or other pipe makers that you saw that kind of influenced you? Um, there was lots. Um, honestly... There was a guy, I can't pronounce his name for the life of me. I wish I could. But he made this, like, the coolest looking pipe in my mind at the time. It was like Alien. It it just reminded me of the Alien and Predator movies. <laughs> and I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. I need to do something like that. And it was a basic, you know, bent billiard shape. But then it was carved all gnarly. <laughs> and it just really, it was really cool. And it inspired me to want to continue with pipe making. Are there... You know, sh- and then now, I see all the other, you know, artists and pipe makers that make crazy beautiful stuff that sells for three times what mine does. And that's also encouragement. Yeah. <laughs> the the bar has been set for you. Um, are there shapes yeah. that, are there shapes yeah. of pipes that you prefer to do? Um, you know, in the last year, I would say that I've gravitated more towards eggs and tomato shapes, you know, more of the rounded ones. On the opposite side of that, is there a pipe that is, is there a pipe shape that still kind of gives you fits or you're, you're still kind of trying to find your way with? Um, I would probably say the blowfish. But a lot of that is due to the fact that I don't freehand drill at the moment. And, you know, the main point of freehand drilling is to chase the grain yeah. and make something that's appealing to the block, basically. Um, you know, working around the block and what it turns into as you're carving deeper into it, that's something I'm not doing yet. And I plan to. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's a that's it's probably just the fact that I don't do it yet but i would say the bullfish so i'm looking on the uh, i'm looking on the ream pipes uh facebook page that's r-e-u-m pipes on facebook and i've noticed a couple of i i'm get i want to call them like a light golden brown kind of stain that's almost um l-tang-esque in color uh, in particular, there's okay. a stacked bird's eye cross grain. Uh, is that a uh, first of all? Wow, because the bird's eye is absolutely gorgeous in the picture. And is Was that, that the Dublin? Uh, looks like a long stacked billiard, or like a tall stacked billiard with a Cumberland stem. Gotcha. And I mean, it, it, is that a contrast stain and you're having to do that like two or three different layers yeah contrast staining um you know using darker darker stains first lighter stains after and then we won't get into much of the finishing process of that um yeah i use all mimo briar so they all you know (laughs) mimo cuts briar perfectly and it usually always yields absolutely exquisite grain 
especially the really higher grades. Yeah, and then the and just from looking at it, I mean the finished colors and the and the popping of the bird's eye is absolutely beautiful. Uh, Thank you. And then you you don't mind playing around with color when it comes to the stem material either. No, I don't. Um, you know, I've found the more customers I sell to, the more people ask for like crazy wild colors, and so I, I know that if I like get my hands on some really weird looking Cumberland or just a really bright color, as long as I somewhat match the stain to it, people are going to love it. And anytime I have a new color that I use, people buy it right away because they're like, yo, I haven't seen that yet. That needs to happen. Uh, if you're gonna, if you're looking for horn or anything like that, do you just go walk out in the woods for a while and find a piece? <laughs> I probably could. I haven't yet. Uh, that'd be too easy, huh? Probably. Uh, how many pipes are you? Uh, well, let's put it this way: How many pipes did you make last year? How many pipes did I make last year? Hmm. Oh, a couple hundred, I would think. I'd have to, I'd have to go back and look. Um, in a couple weeks, February is actually going to be a year as a full-time pipe carver now. So that's that's pretty exciting. Um, I've made a lot of pipes this year, so that's that's really good. Yeah, and I and I'm assuming you've got heat in the workshop, so you can work all year long. Sort of. Um, <laughs> my shop is actually it's actually a storage unit. Um, it's a twenty four by twelve storage unit, and in the winter, so I don't have to heat the whole thing. I actually cut it in half and put up some plastic, so that way, you know, I'm heating half the space, and I've got R30 insulation over that portion of it. And on a daily basis, I'll come into the shop, my heater's on a timer, and it'll be 60 degrees by the time I'm in there. Oh, so that's not bad at all, because then you're sweating while you're working over the wood. Yeah, yeah, so 50 50 to 60 is about perfect for working. Uh, Where do your pipes start out at price-wise? Uh, right now, I'm just about the 200 mark, a little bit under. And then I'm playing around with different stem material and accents and finishes, and those are, you know, 230 to 250. And can uh, can a potential buyer contact you with a commission if they see something that they like or have something specific they want? Yeah, absolutely. I do a lot of commission work. Um, I mean, thank you, everybody. Because if it wasn't for commissions, I wouldn't be able to be a full-time pipe maker, as a lot of pipe makers know. Um, yeah, commissions are definitely good. <laughs> yeah, and uh, when you're not making pipes and not doing other stuff, what 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 fun stuff do you do out and about? Well, in the summer, lots of boating, lots and lots and lots of boating. Um, <laughs> I kind of was spoiled this year because I had three different friends that had boats and I had just recently quit my job to work full time. So yep, lots of boating, um, fishing, snowmobiling, snowboarding, pretty much outdoor stuff. Yeah. That's the, that's the big sky lifestyle. Yeah. Sean, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer. No wrong answer. Just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Sounds good. What is your favorite pipe? Okay. Well, I think one that I would call my favorite that I smoke all the time is going to be the first pipe that I ever restored, which is the House of Robinson. It's a little teeny tiny Dublin. It's a good quick smoke. It's really light. I'm usually clenching it, you know, when I'm working. I would have to say that's it. It's like a Dublin slash cutty. It's got a little heel under it. And and it probably works all day for you while you're, uh, yeah, you don't have to worry about it, and it's comfortable. Exactly. I mean, I'll I'll light three bowls in a row and not worry about it at all. What is your favorite tobacco? Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, <laughs> you know, I I used to be really into Latakia blends, and in the last couple of years, I've gotten more into straight Virginia blends. 
And I would have to say Marlin Flake is up there. Also, Wessex Red Virginia. And probably Solani Silver. No, that's not one, but I can't just mark it down to one, which I don't <laughs> think most people can. Well, they're they're all kind of close in the same wheelhouse, so how's that? Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite drink? My favorite drink? Um, probably scotch, if, if it's going to be an alcoholic drink, other than that, water. Um, right now, I'm actually sipping on some hard bag. <laughs> you know, just a, just a 10-year hard bag, so it's pretty good. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Probably a movie. Probably, yeah, probably a movie. Or just binge watch a whole bunch of Netflix. Yeah, you're one of them young kids that likes to binge watch stuff. <laughs> well, our generation is so spoiled. <laughs> and I try not to be like I try not to be like that. And I feel like I fit into a different category than most people of my generation, being a business owner and a pipe smoker and all that. But, you know, it's really hard not to binge watch something when, why would I want to go back in the day when I had to wait a whole week before another episode came in? A whole episode came out when I can just watch it all now. Yeah, I had to wait a whole week to see what Mr. T did next week on the A-team. Um <laughs> And finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Okay, favorite pipe smoking memory. Yeah, I think that would probably be when I got my best friend to smoke the pipe. My best friend, all of his life, was like, "I'm not smoking anything. That's disgusting. I'm never doing that." And then one day, we're sitting in the backyard drinking a couple of Coronas, and I got him to smoke a pipe. He just looked at me and was like, "Give me that," <laughs> and I did. And he smoked a pipe with me, and it was. Probably one of the coolest things. <laughs> and does he still smoke a pipe with you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Every now and then I'll take a couple puffs off of a cigar, but that, that's pretty much it. All right, so besides Facebook, where else can we see your pipes and how else can we get a hold of you? Um, Facebook under Reem Pipes, Instagram under Reem Pipes. Those are the main things. Um yeah, I mean, Facebook and Instagram have been wonderful for business and, you know, just getting to know so many people in the community and get to know what's going on. So those would be the two best sources. There you go. Check out his pipes. Sean, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Brian. We'll be back in just a minute. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com this is internet radio i am back and i'll tell you it always amazes me when i meet a young guy like sean that had an interest in uh in classic old straight blade razors and now interested in pipes and making some really nice pipes that are priced really well so uh check out all his stuff all right uh, for music this is uh yeah, a couple days ago, got an email from Dan Lockler, and Dan pointed to me of a German composer whose name is Kurt Weil, W-E-I-L-L. I'm assuming it's Weil, but uh, I could be wrong. Anyway, a pipe smoker and a fairly prominent composer, new one that I'd never heard of. But this is his uh, three-penny opera, and it's 
two movements. It's the overture and then uh, Mac the Knife. So check this out. It's uh, This is interesting and fun, and uh, and I got to learn something new, too. If you would like to hear the rest of that piece of music, I found it on Spotify. Again, it's Kurt, K-U-R-T. Last name is W-E-I-L-L. Or if you're in Germany, that would be a double V, E-I-L-L. You got mail. You got mail. You got mail. We have a couple weeks of mailbag to get caught up on. So going back two weeks ago to the show with Rick Farah on uh, Down Home Smoker writes, great show. Rick was a pleasure to listen to and seemed like a real down-to-earth guy with a great sense of humor. I got to meet you at the KC Pipe Show this year, Brian, and it was a real pleasure. I hope to be able to see you at future KC shows as well. Yeah, um, as always, the KC Show is a lot of fun with a bunch of good people, and I hope they can continue to carry it on, and the location isn't bad either. 
Uh, S.S. Jones, Al, writes, It was interesting that Rick mentioned the use of denatured alcohol versus isopropyl. Denatured alcohol is typically seen as inedible, and I'm not sure I'd want that in my pipe. I'll stick with isopropyl. Well, the uh, <laughs> the controversy continues, so um, I guess my advice would be uh, pick your favorite poison. Um, I can... Uh, drive 25 miles to South Carolina and get grain alcohol, and that's what I use. And then uh, going on, Crash the Gray writes another wonderful show. It is nice to know that some people dedicate themselves to restoration and don't want to make pipes. It really can be two completely different skill sets, and it is nice to have people who can fix those crazy issues. Rick seems very knowledgeable. I agree with the use of denatured alcohol. Uh, Denatured alcohol is inedible to keep it inexpensive, but is still chemically ethanol. Isopropyl is not ethanol, but a secondary alcohol which smells bad and is also not safe to drink. But in the end, they will both clean your pipes. And I will stick with grain alcohol, because it'll clean your pipes and clean your pipes, too. Um, Also, there was a a thread about uh, Rick and all the people that have had their work done by him and... uh, including Condor Lover, who said the man walks on water as far as I'm concerned, and uh, a couple people have just recently sent their pipes off to them. So uh, let me know what you think of the pipe work, and I understand there's like a month backup, but hey, probably worth the wait. All right, let's see what else we have. Uh, Last week with Tom as the co-host in the Gadget Pipes, uh, Casey Ghost writes, nice eulogy from both guys and Ed. Yeah, and I forgot to mention, uh, if you check on eBay or you know watch watch the websites, you'll see E. Andrews pipes. That's uh, that's how Ed stamped his pipes, and uh, you know you can't can't get a better deal on them because they're undervalued, in my opinion. Uh, then Dan goes on to write, Tom Provost just isn't cutting it as a second banana on the show. Maybe it's me. I don't know. Uh, Tis the season for silly commercials. Man, do they blow. (laughs) Yeah, if it was a commercial for blowing. Uh, So Dan's not a fan of Tom, but you'll see he's uh, in the uh, minority. Uh, Crash the Gray writes of the gadget pipes. I thought most were a novelty. Someone sent me an old 1950s Peterson system, and although I'm not a fan of the P-Lip, the old style of reservoir really does work efficiently at removing moisture and gurgle. It surprised me. It is kind of like an early version of a reverse calabash, despite the silliness of the name. As well, I'd be interested in another gadget pipe show at a later date, as you barely scratch the surface in one session. They are fun and interesting, even if the vast majority are not as useful as some would claim. <laughs> Thanks for another great show. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, and if you got any suggestions of other pipes that you want us to talk about or look into, you know, email me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com, or just post them right there on the forum page. And then uh, also from uh, last week, uh, apparently there's a glitch with iTunes, which that doesn't surprise me. If you... Uh, uh, if you're on iTunes and you're not subscribed, the show may not be showing up from last week. Uh, if you're on iTunes and subscribed, it may be showing up in the bottom of your feed because the date may not be on there correctly, but it's iTunes and it's uh, full of glitchiness. Uh, and then there was a couple of uh, comments positive to uh, Tom being on the show and talking it through and doing the, uh, doing the gadget pipe stuff. So uh, thank you all for that. Um, music request. Uh, Darth Pipe wrote about a week ago, the great bassist Donald Duck Dunn smoked a pipe in one of the greatest musicals of all time, the Blues Brothers. May I request Jake and Elwood's version of Soul Man? Disclaimer, I'm only about a third of the way through the episodes. If this has been done, disregard. Keep up the great work. Uh, I believe we did play Soul Man, and I believe we did one other with, uh, with Duck on... But you know what? I'll dig around and find some others. So let me know if you have any other musical suggestions, requests that you'd like to hear. I'm open to them all. And don't forget, and uh, share it with your friends, uh, new shows, new episodes of the Pipes Magazine radio show go up 
every Tuesday, unless there's an issue, but every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and they are available for download as soon as possible on iTunes and Podbeam and uh, Stitcher and uh, Spotify, I think, has them and all those other places. Plus, we're working on Google, whatever it is. So, remember, every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on PipesMagazine.com, you get a new episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And then it goes out to all those different little iTunes things or pod places and stuff like that. So, every Tuesday night. And uh, make sure and share it with friends. Don't wait until Thursday or Friday to listen. Catch it right away. Um, While you're at uh, Stitcher or iTunes, again, we would appreciate any ratings or reviews that you can leave. Those would be absolutely wonderful. And if you've got some uh, free time, you know what? There's some wonderful writing going on on the homepage of Pipes Magazine right now that uh, if you only listen to the to the radio show well you're missing out on some really cool stuff that uh, pipes magazine is doing all right in just a minute rave time said earlier I was in Manchester, England helping my daughter get set up for her three and a half month stay there while she attends, as they call it, uni. Yeah, one term at uni. Um, and my, my entire experience with, uh, with the United Kingdom has been London. So I was a little concerned. Well, we started doing research and discovered that uh, Manchester is uh, not as expensive as London <laughs> in no way. But once we got there, I was absolutely shocked at how friendly and welcoming and inclusive the people of Manchester, England are. And keep in mind, they've had some rough, rough times in the last year or so. So for uh, two American visitors to come into town, these people were all perfectly wonderful, friendly, uh, inviting. And it wasn't that fake friendly, because I got a BS meter that'll go off in just just about three seconds, because I'm used to slinging it a lot. These were, this was real genuine friendliness from the uh, from the folks at the phone at the mobile phone company, the O2 store that told us to go to go into another store, buy a used phone, and then come back and get a by the month plan. Uh, you wouldn't get that in the U.S. From the people at the, uh, the, the, re- the Iraqi immigrants that run a fish and chip stand who said that, you know, told me right in front of my daughter, said if, you have any, if she has any problems, she comes in there, don't worry about it, they'll take care of her. Uh, the people, the guy, the manager at the hotel who we never met, and then one day we were walking back in and he said that, you know, uh, we told him what, what we'd done for the day because he asked, and he said, you know, if you ever have any problems, you come back here. We'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. A wonderful group of people. I cannot more highly recommend that if you get a chance to, and you're going to England, make sure and put Manchester on the map. Lots of stuff to do, lots of things to see in a nice, relatively compact town. Uh Plenty of places to smoke a pipe in comfort, as long as you don't mind the fact that it might be a little cold, windy, damp, and dreary. But (laughs) just bundle up or uh, drink some of that wonderful liquid stuff that they sell at all those pubs, and that'll keep you warm and lubricated. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Again, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Sean for joining me, and until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather.
Why should the people listen to you? Because, unlike some other Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English accent. 